The other day I was re-listening to our Scoop Daniel episode and you were doing the actress at the Titanic benefit singing the Celine Dion song. <laughs> You're like, near far. It's a hard where, song. Can I, can I start over? <laughs> Listen, if you get stuck in the wrong key, you, there's nowhere to go. You got to start over. You got to abort that mission. <laughs> can I start over? Wherever you Girl, how are you feeling today? Not well. I'm not great today. (laughs) I'm not great today. I'm not great today. I've been better just getting over the E. coli. Yeah. Because like the rest of my life, I like to go big or go home. Ellen had E. coli, you guys. She had E. coli. So, I mean, if I, I'm not getting a cold. I'm not getting a bullshit no. sinus infection. <laughs> I'm going to get E. coli if I get sick. So you guys can all sit there with your little food poisoning. That- no, I'm going to get a waterborne illness. I love it when people claim to have food poisoning when really they're just hungover. Oh, yeah. We all know, Karen. We all know that you're not late for the meeting because you're food poisoning, girl. And by Karen, I mean Patrick. <laughs> You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen comes dressed as her headboard. I'm not kidding, you guys. They're wearing the same color today. Wait, this is a different shirt. (laughs) This is a different shirt. I swear. And she and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. Hi, girl. Hi. How are you? I have already already had enough, and we haven't even begun. I have already had enough. I feel like those were the first words we ever spoke to each other. Hi, how are you? I've already had enough and we have yet to even begin. And here we are 20 years later. Best of luck to all involved. (laughs) You guys, come find us on the Facebook. You can join our Facebook discussion group. It's called Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. We're in there all the time. We're sharing memes. We're getting drunk. (laughs) Sometimes I said this once and it's true. Sometimes Ellen and I just go live in the Facebook group without the other one's knowledge to just talk about the other one. You never know what's going to happening there it is really fun we've got quite a little group going i know we're almost at ten thousand. girl tell them about the instagram and what we do there our podcast instagram has about as many followers as my own personal instagram (laughs) don't worry about it i'm in therapy i will be fine our handle is the disappeared pod you can also find me at at ellen marsh we go live every friday night at six o'clock we talk about the episode that dropped on the previous wednesday we also catch up with our life what's going on in the current crew trime Crew Trime World. (laughs) Keep it in, Henry. All right, you guys. Disappeared Season 2, Episode 5, Lost Trust. The story of the disappearance of Liz and John Calvert. Um, Also, trust is a double entendre. (laughs) We'll find out why later. (laughs) Ellen, can I get one of those um, buttery pastries you get in Paris? What are those called? A one. I, you can also uh, you can also get an angry mm-hmm. one. Yeah. What what is that called? Wah wah! <laughs> is that stupid? A much loved couple, Liz and John Calvert, owners of a yachting resort, living the good life. They enjoyed being with family and friends, and doing things that um, brought a richness to life. But their business is in trouble. She was starting to suspect that there might be some embezzlement going on. 
they confront their former bookkeeper. The former accountant, you know, told Liz, I, I got it figured out. You know, it's, it's like a computer glitch, no worries. The next day, when the couple's nowhere to be found, police questioned the accountant. Well, he told us a lot uh, that were later found to be lies. Where are the Calverts? And what does this crime scene have to do with them? There was 360 degrees of blood in that bathroom. All right, you guys, Monday, March 3rd, 2008. So again, this is that classic disappeared thing where they give us too much information up front and then they go and they fill it in. So we learn that this is like the night before John and Liz go missing. We learn that they have a six o'clock a meeting with their accountant. And we learn that the meeting is about the finances of their yachting resort called Harbor Town. You guys, this couple owns a yachting resort, which is literally just a fancy boat park. <laughs> when I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> Wait, when you go when you go back and listen to this, you said you said a six o'clock like my grandmother. <laughs> yes. Henry, did I really say that? They have a six o'clock a meeting with their accountant. You learned that they have a, a six o'clock a meeting. <laughs> But wait, my joke about their yachting resort being a fancy boat parking lot? I thought that was going to kill. It did kill. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> the meeting is about the finances of their yachting resort called Harbortown, to which I said, it's like a yachting resort, but it's just a boat parking lot. That's all. That's all. That's really my only joke for this whole episode. And it's fine. I didn't watch it. <laughs> the meeting is about the troubled finances of their yachting resort called Harbortown. Located in picturesque Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. We have all of the water-related sports here. Kayaking, parasailing, tours and cruises, fishing. So wait, you guys, that lady that you just heard in that clip, that's Nancy. She's the harbor master, and she's amazing. She's a great friend to John and Liz in this episode. And girl, I'm wondering, does she qualify as a down bitch? Because she, Nancy is, I love her. She is, and she's like an undercover down bitch because she's oh, yeah. southern <laughs> and quiet. Like, she would refer to everyone wait, as like... I really need a t-shirt that says undercover down bitch. She's an over, <laughs> undercover down bitch. Also, for it does need to be said for anyone that didn't watch the episode that just for the visual, Nancy is wearing what can only be described as cargo pants in a shirt form. <laughs> Am I right? You know that I'm a gay with no taste, right? I know. I love a cargo short, girl. I love a cargo short. And you know what I call cargo shorts? What? Purse pants. <laughs> she explains to us what they do at Harbor Town. Um, she calls them something called water-related sports. Boo. <laughs> She's talking about kayaking and parasailing. Are we really going to call parasailing a sport? If you're dumb enough to tie a kite to your neck and get it behind a boat and let it take you to the, to the moon, forget... <laughs> You're taking some crazy pills, my friend. I'm kidding. We love all our parasailing listeners. You know there's a parasailer out there, Patrick. When the Calverts acquired Harbor Town Yacht Basin in 2005, John, an engineer and boating enthusiast, cultivated a laid-back and friendly atmosphere. Look, John, the husband, really wanted this thing. This yeah. guy is an engineer and a, quote, boat enthusiast, to which I went, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Moving on. His whole mission was to like buy this place and make this boat parking lot the funnest place. I- it's the Disneyland of boat parking lots, girl. It's, <laughs> it's if you are rich yeah. and you have a boat, you're going to Harbor Town. Totally. It's like me and Six Flags. <laughs> totally. If you're middle aged and damaged, you're going to Six Flags. <laughs> Lay off me! I'm starving and they've got fried Oreos! Have I mentioned I know all the stages of grief? Where are you going, sir? I'm a catch. Liz helps John at Harbortown half the week. She also practices corporate law in nearby Savannah, Georgia. So Liz, like, is only there part of the week and the other part of the week, she's a big, high-powered lawyer in Savannah, to which I said, in other words, Liz makes the money. And while we're talking about how, like, Liz makes money, Christopher, the narrator, goes, They'll keep their houses in Atlanta and Savannah, but live on their yacht docked at the marina. Girl, you think these people have money? Yeah, and Savannah and Atlanta, I looked it up, are only 248 miles away. That's a three-hour drive. Could you imagine being like, uh, I couldn't possibly drive to my other house three hours away. I am going to stay in this house. Thank you very much. But then when you get there, you're kind of like, you know what? I don't feel like sleeping in the house here. I think I'll just go sleep in the yacht. The yacht on Hilton Head. They're not monsters, by the way. John and Liz are not monsters. They're very laid back people. In fact, her brother, David White, says... John was in love with the Harbortown Yacht Basin and just loved the people in, you know, trying to come up with ideas to make their experiences more fun. Liz was, you know, behind him and kind of the practical side. Liz and John don't have kids, so they lead what we call a stress-free life. <laughs> the Calverts are breezy and rested people. They And they look rested. In every picture, they look like they got a solid eight hours the night before. Yeah, and you know what? Live your life. They run a yacht club. And... It's a boat parking lot, Ellen. It's a boat parking lot. <laughs> God damn it. Liz plans to leave her law practice and work full-time managing Harbortown with John by spring of 2008. Until Liz's involvement, Harbortown's bookkeeping had always been handled by an outside company, a local management firm called The Club Group. The Club Group's financial and accounting practice is run by 54-year-old Dennis Gerwing. The guy who runs the company, The Club Group, who had been doing the books, his name is Dennis Gerwig, and we see like a corporate headshot of him, to which I said, girl, we really, really need to talk about how men do not do hair and makeup for their corporate headshots, and they really should start considering it. Just some sensible powder, you <laughs> red-nosed, capillary-filled, boozy, old, disgusting man. His headshot really doesn't get better as they do the slow zoom in of it. Just so I could see really that rogue <laughs> eyebrow hair. No, thank you. And it is, I was like, a little pancake makeup goes a long way, girl. We find out that Dennis Gerwing has been running the finances for Harbor Town before the Calverts had purchased it. Yeah. Um, and he's been doing that for about 20 years. And it's at this time that we learn that Liz was never super comfortable with him. Liz was never really one to let other people manage her money, but because the gentleman uh, that was managing the books from her perspective was someone that had been involved with the business before they purchased it, and they had every reason to, to trust him. But as Liz eases into her new role, 
she can't help but notice what seem like careless accounting errors. Liz is the one who's like going over the accounting and being like, there's a lot of like obvious errors here. Like this doesn't make any sense. I don't like this guy. I get a creepy vibe. And like that's how they decided that they were going to let the accounting firm go and that Liz was going to take over. Listen, I get that. You got to be in charge of your own money. I've known you for 20 years and I still think you're skimming off the top of my paycheck. (laughs) I don't trust you for shit. I'll tell you what, my husband runs all the finances of our business. I have no idea money going in and out, none whatsoever. I know. Could you imagine just like he's like squirreling it away and then one day he just walks to Mexico. We're like, where's Steve? (laughs) Him and Scoop Daniels are like just sitting there with like frosty mugs. They're like, ha 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 ha. So Liz asks Dennis for a meeting because she's going over the books and she's like, nothing makes sense here. And she's got a lot of questions. Liz has a quick meeting with Dennis Gerwing. He says there's a reasonable explanation for the accounting errors. The former accountant, you know, told Liz, I, I got it figured out. You know, it's it's like a computer glitch. Computer glitch. That was computer my favorite. Glitch. I know. Sure, Jan. <laughs> computer glitch. So, yeah, no, not as a computer glitch. So we never actually see this meeting between John and Liz and the, uh, the crooked finance guy. We just know that it happens, and then suddenly it's Tuesday morning. And Nancy gets to work at 7 a.m. My kind of woman gets to the office bright and early, girl. <laughs> and Christopher says... The next morning of March 4th, Harbortown is awash in sun and crisp spring air. Don't try and pull that shit with me, Christopher. I hear that ominous music. <laughs> I hear that music in a minor key. No, Christopher, please. Something is going to go wrong. Stop playing with my emotions. I don't need to go on this emotional roller coaster today. Just tell me what happened. Right. So Nancy walks in. She sees that the lights are still on from the night before. She's like, huh, weird. That's unlike type A John and Liz. It's unusual, and I think it's odd. But then I think John and Liz must have worked late last night and just left the light on. As we mentioned, they don't have children. They're not, like, rushing home to make dinner. Like, not a kid. Care in the goddamn world, these two. Could you imagine? Like, no. what do you want to do today? I don't know. <laughs> and they mean it. They could just do anything. Do you want to take one of our boats out? I don't care. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? They're like, do you want to go like walk on the beach? You know how I spend at least eight times a day. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I imagine that John and Liz spend their entire days just like randomly looking at each other going, I'm really well rested. I feel great. (laughs) Do you feel great? I feel great. I'm I'm calm. Could you imagine when someone says that? How are you? Calm. I'm so rested, I'm exhausted again. I've I've come full circle. (laughs) I could do that joke for four hours. I could just keep on going with that. And I walked in and I saw John's briefcase, which was another kind of odd thing because I'd never seen his briefcase before. And I continued on into my office and there was the file with all the statements in it that uh, Liz had said she and John were going to get out the night before, which was pretty unusual for them not to do something that they say they're going to do. Nancy goes about her morning as usual, until 10 o'clock passes without so much as a call from John Calvert. So John never comes in. They were supposed to be in at 10. Yeah, they're supposed to be in at 10. Because of course, yeah, the workday starts after second breakfast. You know what I mean? Yeah, who cares? Who cares? Who fucking cares? These boats aren't going to float themselves. (laughs) No, I think they are. I think they just sit there all day. 
So Nancy says that, like, she starts to be like, where are they? Like, around 10. And then, like, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, they've got a 4 o'clock meeting. She says at, like, 3.30, she cancels the meeting because, like, they just didn't show up. And that is very unlike them. It also should be said that she called their phones and they went straight to voicemail. Yes, yes, exactly. And if my phone goes to voicemail, I am dead. (laughs) Could you imagine? If someone looked at my search history on my phone, I would have to scoop Daniels it out of town. My search history on my phone is always, like, sushi near me ryan reynolds shirtless gluten-free pancakes tom cruise underwear like (laughs) that's mine is like my stomach hurts do i have cancer (laughs) what kind of cancer do i have it's all panic related my left toe hurts how many days do i have to live and then mine's like famous ryan's naked (laughs) (laughs) famous ryan's naked Is it safe to drink balsamic vinaigrette? Justin Timberlake, but. How do I get tomato sauce out of my white linen shirt? Is John Travolta gay? Is John Travolta gay? (laughs) Oh, we're never going to get through this episode. Okay. Okay. We're never. Nancy starts trying to track them down. I knew that I had to do something. I had to figure something out. I called uh, one of Liz's associates over the law firm in Savannah to, uh, to get Dave's contact information. In Atlanta, Liz's brother, David White, is leaving work when he gets Nancy's call. So Harbor Master Nancy calls Liz's brother because she can't find them. Like She doesn't seem that panicked, though. This is not Breckenridge, honey. She's like, I guess I'm going to cancel their four o'clock. <laughs> but imagine if Harbor Master Nancy didn't exist, nobody would be looking for them. I know. And she is sounding the alarm girl. She is calling all over God's green earth telling people <laughs> that they're missing. Who did she call first? First, she calls Liz's law office in Savannah. What? She's got everyone on speed dial. Because she's a down bitch. That's what down bitches do. She's got it in all the pockets of her cargo shirt. She's got all the numbers. I love that we invented the cargo shirt. I'm obsessed with it. Then she calls Dennis the bookie guy, right? Yeah, let's call him Shrek. He's disgusting. Can you tell he's the bad guy, you guys? Meanwhile, Nancy calls the Calvert's former accountant, Dennis Gerwing. I asked if he had talked to John or Liz that day, and he said no. He hadn't seen him or talked to him. So I suggested that I call the chief of security. He says call the chief of security. I was like, who the F is chief of security? Who's the chief? The chief of the boat parking lot? Chief, call the chief of security. I don't know what that means. All to say, Nancy doesn't file a missing persons report till the next day. In Atlanta, Georgia, David White does the same. I met the police over at their house here in Atlanta, let them in, looked around, and they ruled that, you know, no one had been or disturbed the house. Like most missing adult investigations, this one is initially routine. There was a possibility from the beginning that John Elizabeth Calvert decided they were going to leave town and not let anybody know. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, here we go. We meet this guy, the Dilfy Captain Bob, I call him. I call him Bob Bro, because his name is Bob Bromage, so I call him Bob Bro. Sup, bro? <laughs> but no, my favorite part about Captain Bro is he's like, do you want to shoot in my office? Okay, great. Let's put it right here. You know what? Let me put my sheriff's jacket in the back. <laughs> that way you know I'm the sheriff. And he, like, hangs his jacket when he, like, eschews it so that the sheriff is showing. It's like, this is so there's no confusion. I'm the sheriff in this town. Do you like Bob the Bro? So I like Dilfie. 
selfie Bob the cop, but he does that thing that everyone does, and I fucking can't stand it. He's like, you know, they're two good-looking, older, rich, white people with no kids. They could have easily just left town without telling anybody. There's no law against that, to which I said, you know what, girl? If we could just make a law against that, it would save everybody a lot of goddamn time. Everybody says it, right? And it's like, why do they always say that? I don't know, but then, then they start looking for them, and my favorite moment, too, was when Nancy, our down bitch, who really does not want to call any, like, unneeded attention to herself, she's like, so... I, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't feel like it had anything to do with it, but, but finally, yeah, I told them that, that Liz had concerns that there was some financial improprieties and, and the accounting. All I know is that hundreds of thousands of dollars are gone. Liz was onto it. It was definitely that accountant. They had a meeting with him last night at 6 o'clock and no one's seen them since. I'm not really sure if that's important. <laughs> I know. I don't want to make a big deal out of anything. She didn't want to. I understand. And now the sheriff, PJ Tanner, tells us that we're 26 hours behind. Right. Listen, honey, we know if this were in Breckenridge, <laughs> we would be telling a different story, but we're not. We're in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and they move a little slower. In Breckenridge, Colorado, every Every time there's a case of a missing person, they're like, we're actually about two hours ahead of everything, you guys. They haven't even, they don't even know they're going to go missing yet. We already know where they are. You missing? No? You're just getting fro-yo? Okay, you're good. You good? But it should be said that everybody seems to know that Dennis and Liz and John had this meeting. Like, it wasn't a secret meeting. And then Christopher goes, police quickly locate Liz's car and her small airplane. her plane! (laughs) You guys! Christopher just says it like it's nothing! And then Christopher goes on to say, which they find parked in its space at Hilton Head's airport. Where else is she gonna park it at the boat parking lot? She's gonna park her plane in the plane parking lot? Her boat in the boat parking lot? What do you understand? These people are so rich. They've got houses all up and down the eastern seaboard. They own a parking lot full of boats. And Liz has got a plane parked at the airport just in case she feels like hopping on down to Key West for an afternoon. Do you remember the richest person I ever dated? Robbie Williams? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I dated a pop star. So one time we were at the Mercer Hotel and I went into the shower and I came back and he ordered one of everything on the menu. Robbie Williams, people are starving all over the world. We all know Ellen doesn't eat, Robbie Williams. (laughs) Wasting your money, girl. I also wanted to point out that everybody in America is like, who? And our two listeners in London are like, what? Nobody knows who he is here. You guys, he was like a pop star from the 90s. So back at the yacht parking lot, they begin investigating. The next morning, investigators arrive at the club group to find Dennis Gerwing sitting in the same office where he apparently met with the Calverts two evenings earlier. Gerwing says that Liz arrived at about 6.15, 15 minutes late. But the meeting only went on for another 15 minutes. Dennis Gerwing said uh, that Liz just said, John, come on, we got to go, and they left. They never got to the point of discussing the issues at hand. Dennis says she didn't, you know, express why they had to leave um, and commented that saw them getting in the same car. This story is such bullshit. Dennis is saying to the detectives, Liz came in 15 minutes late to the meeting that she requested, by the way, and then insisted that she and John leave immediately with no explanation. Right, because they didn't talk about finances. Dennis is like, yeah, no, uh, (laughs) no, we didn't even talk. No, bitch, that's what the meeting was for. And everyone later on in the documentary are like, 
Liz was no pushover. Like, no. I mean, she's a corporate lawyer. She's a, a high-powered woman. She was going to sit. She had her checks. She had her balances. She was like, show me where this money is. Yeah. Like, there is no way they did not talk about finances in the meeting to talk about finances. 15 minutes late, my eye, as my mother would say. And then Dennis also attests that he said they got into the same car. They both got into John's Mercedes, and they left Liz's Mini Cooper in the parking lot. Because remember, Liz was coming from Savannah. Yeah. John was coming from the boat basin. Right. His story doesn't make any goddamn sense. After leaving work, Gerwin says he took the long way home, stopping at a gas station on the way. So Dennis's story is that he drove home the long way? Okay. <laughs> you know what I really feel like doing at the end of a long day of work? Making it take extra long time to get home. Yeah, I want my day to be longer. I want to be away from my home for a longer amount of time. How about that? But then the detectives say to us, like, while we're taking his story and he's telling us about his night, they notice they, that he's got, like, a big gash on his hand. There was a... A few inch laceration in the web of his right hand. Webbing? Yeah. That is the grossest. I love that he's like, let me think about the fucking filthiest way I can say this. Hang on. What's like the <laughs> skeeviest way? The webbing. The webbing. Keep it. Keep webbing. <laughs> can we get him to say something else or no? Can you just say finger? <laughs> now we're going to keep webbing. I think webbing gives a better picture for the, for the audience. Yeah, it just sounds gross. It sounds yeah. gross. Read the copy, Christopher. Read the copy. But Dennis's story is that he got that gash on his hand when he opened a bottle of wine at home and it broke. Also, can our reenactment actors just make a really like a unanimous decision to never mime opening a bottle of wine? (laughs) Can we just all collectively agree to that? Did they teach you that in your reenactment actor class in acting grad school? Or like, where did you get so brilliant about acting? I'm only in the first semester. We only reached fake falling. Um, We haven't added yeah. props yet, oh, but I'm good. hoping wine bottles will be one, will be the next thing. We indicated that he went home after the meeting with the Calverts, and uh, in the process of opening a wine bottle, it broke and he cut his hand. Gerwing tells cops he went back to work, stopping by a local pharmacy, a CVS near his office, to buy Band-Aids for his cut. He says he worked till around midnight, then went back home to bed. Obviously, this story is not true, but if it were, the whole thing was that he's like, you know, after that meeting that only lasted 15 minutes long, he just had to go home and drink that bottle of wine and then come right back to work and and then work until midnight. So the investigators are like super chill, like you're not a person of interest or anything, but can we just like look in your office and your car and your home? (laughs) So he was like, yeah, 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 inspect my car. He has like a small like Avalon or some kind of like Toyota. And then he also has a Yukon. A Yukon is basically like... You've seen those cars. They're like basically like towns on wheels. It's like an it's like a huge SUV, right? Yeah, it's beyond huge. Like it holds like <laughs> seventy two people and five cows. Yeah, and so he says when they're looking in the car, they're like, "Huh, this car's been thoroughly cleaned." They immediately notice that it has been thoroughly vacuumed. When that car was examined, one of the bench seats was missing from the car. He offered the explanation that he was moving furniture. Well, no, there's no witnesses to indicate that at all. My question here, and this is not going to be the last time you're going to get a question like this. Do Dennis or I look like the kind of people who move furniture? Dennis, girl, can you pick a believable story? You're doing manual labor, girl. You or me both are going to jail if that's our alibi. Yeah, I mean, just for the visual, Dennis is like 100 pounds overweight with a nasty 
case of rosacea. I don't think he's helping anyone move furniture to and fro. That's no. just not a thing, sir. Do you want to think of another lie? So he's here with this impeccable Yukon that is like detailed and vacuumed and clean with no bench seat. But like the bottom line is they find nothing in the vehicles to connect him to the disappearance. So then they go to the office, which Christopher points out. Although it is remarkably clean. There are no obvious red flags. So then they go to his house and it's like, oh my God, you fucking moron. Officers do spot something unusual. A small pile of sandy dirt on the kitchen floor and a freshly soiled shovel leaning against the outside of the house. Dennis Gerwing offered the explanation that he had been doing some repair work to his irrigation system outside. I have another question. Yes. Uh, Pat- Patrick Hines. Patrick Hines. Yes, he was. Do Dennis or I look <laughs> like the kind of people who do work on their <laughs> irrigation systems? So again, there are things that are peculiar, but it doesn't quite make him a suspect or even a person of interest yet. Yeah. So then they look at their phone records. I love how sometimes they can't get phone records for like days or weeks. <laughs> you need that one sympathetic judge. Yeah. Freaking Tanya Ryder's <laughs> husband had to give like a blood urine sample take a drug test and like take an oath why can't we standardize this it should be the same everywhere it doesn't make any sense so at any rate they get a hold of his cell phone records within a day and at 6 p.m the night the calverts went missing his phone was deactivated it seems his cell phone was deactivated at around 7 30 p.m shortly after he met with the calverts and powered off until 11 15 a.m the next day Almost 16 hours later. I have one question and one question only. Who turns off their cell phones, Patrick? There's one answer. Uh, Sociopaths. I'm never turning off my phone. You know when you go to the movie theater? I silence it. I'm not turning that shit off. What if aliens come? I'm going to be the one with my camera. I'm not a fool. But the cops were like, Dennis is no fool. He knows that we could have GPS tracked his phone, so he deactivated his phone. But here's my question. Why don't you just leave your phone at home? Like, rather than doing this super obvious thing where they're going to know you turned your phone off, right. just say you were home all night. Why am I the only one who's good at this? Why do you know so much? <laughs> so they change um, Shrek's status to a person of interest, but they don't tell him that yet. Investigators contacted him via phone and asked him to come back in for another interview the following day and to take a polygraph. Gerwing asks if he's now being considered a suspect. But because police have no evidence linking him to any crime, they tell him no. He was asked to come back for another interview just to get a few things straightened out in his statement. Gerwing reluctantly agrees to cooperate. But that phone call would prove to be the last direct contact between him and the sheriff's office. And then the cops tell us, like, we didn't get to do it. Like, he lawyered up, he got a lawyer, and the next morning the lawyer calls and says, like, my client's not coming. They're like, yeah, dude, remember Dennis who said he was coming to be super helpful with this case? No. No, none of that. <laughs> I'm calling to let you know my client almost definitely did this and will not yeah. be coming in for an interview <laughs> about it. But here's the thing. This is what we keep coming back to. Dennis did become a person of interest because of all these peculiar things and findings and he was the last person to see them, but there actually is no evidence. Which is why I say all the time, like, why is everyone so bad at this? He's kind of actually good at this. Yeah. If anyone is like, why are you giving him a compliment, girl? I just said somebody was good at murder. I know. That's not a compliment, girl. While canvassing parking lots, deputies find John Calvert's silver Mercedes. It's parked at a hotel the Calverts never checked into 
and it's six miles away from where it was last seen. It appeared that someone had, had driven into the, the parking lot and found the first space available, got out of it and left. That vehicle had been taken there by a single uh, occupant because there were there were coffee cups and other things that were on the, the passenger seat. Well, you said coffee cups, but I think you meant to say evidence. Right. Like, did you do anything with that? But they said there was no DNA, no blood, no fingerprints. Yeah, they do like process the car for Jesus. But like the big takeaway here is that like the loved ones and the family can no longer say like maybe they went on a road trip and forgot to tell everybody. Right. That never that never happens, loved ones. So we go backwards a little bit. We go back to the cut on Shrek's hand. The, the cops are like, okay, it's got to be this guy. Like I usually don't like the blinders thing where like they decide on a suspect and work backwards. In this case, I'm going to let it slide. Right. I'm going to be okay with it here. They're going back to his story about CVS, right? Right. And we know that there was surveillance video, and they learned that he actually did go to CVS that night. And he did purchase Band-Aids. Yes. Couple other things, though. (laughs) The pharmacy's cash register and surveillance video show that Dennis Gerwing did, in fact, buy Band-Aids the night of March 3rd. Except it happened at 7.15 p.m., almost three hours earlier than he claimed. But not only did he buy Band-Aids, he bought the Band-Aids, went outside to the parking lot, came back into the CVS for a Cephet transaction, and bought latex gloves. Gerwing had never mentioned any latex gloves during his statements to police. And investigators never found any in his cars, home, or office. Now it's becoming evident to police that Gerwing may be trying to hide something. Maybe he's trying to hide something. I was like, (laughs) Christopher, (laughs) don't mess with my mind. So that happens, and then we learn that they discover other surveillance video, which we don't see, which is very annoying. I wish we could see it. I know, I know, me too. But apparently, like, late in the night into early in the morning, there's a restaurant right next door to his office, and there was a surveillance video outside that shows him just like pacing. Oh my God, I wish I could see. Yeah, he's just pacing. What the fuck is he doing? Yeah, I don't know. That's all they tell us. He was very like nervously pacing back and forth. Do you think Christopher can get us that surveillance video? Do you think he could make a call? That's a great question. Let's like, what else is he doing right now? Waiting for us to call him. (laughs) I I think when we got to the point where the purchase of the latex gloves was made, we had established enough probable cause to search for any evidence that would help us determine what led to the disappearance of the Calfords. On March 8th, the sheriff's office executes search warrants, returning once again to Gerwing's home, office, and cars. They go back all through that shit and they find nothing, you guys. They find no evidence of Liz and John being anywhere near his stuff. But the investigation brought to light sort of his shadier side of life. He was with a lot of shady people. He had a gambling habit and he frequented nightclubs. Now, going to a strip club does not make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a murderer by any sorts. But the environment of drugs, alcohol, addictive behavior is really, really curious. So Christopher says, but some indicate that the lifelong bachelor was no Boy Scout either. I was like, well, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take issue with a couple things. Yeah. That Shrek looking motherfucker is not a bachelor. I mean, yeah. like his doctor is a vet. Right. I am. I am not. I'm not here for them calling him a bachelor. So now we get this whole crazy story. March 10th, we learn about this woman. Her name is Shaha. One week after the Calverts met with their former accountant. Captain Bob Bromage brings in a young woman named Shaha, 
who is Dennis Gerwing's assistant for questioning. She is the last person that Dennis Gerwing called on the evening the Calverts disappeared. The cops basically paint the picture that she had like a front row seat to the planning of whatever happened to this. Meanwhile, this is news to Shaha. She has no idea. She comes down to the police station and she's being super helpful. And she just says like a few hours before Liz and John go missing, Dennis called her and asked her to follow him to the Hilton Head airport where he was going to like leave his car. It it was not a crazy ask. I mean, he was just saying like, oh, my friend is coming into town. He's going to take my car. Can you just like give me a ride? But here's where it gets a little crazy. On their way back to work, Shaha says Gerwing instructed her to stop at the Graco hardware store. She said he went in and bought some tablecloths or something. So we went back to Graco and found the receipts for the purchase, found Dennis on video purchasing three very large uh, industrial strength drop cloths. Three huge industrial strength drop cloths. That's where you got to start asking some questions. Well, she did. She said, what are those for? And, you know, he's just so handy. I have a question. Patrick, (laughs) yes, you have a question. Do Dennis or I look like the type of people who would take on a large painting project at home, girl? Dennis, your story is full of holes. It's It's as though he said, I couldn't have killed them. I was out for a 10 mile jog with my friend Patrick. Yeah. What are you talking about? He was not the kind of ogre to do manual labor. So the night that Liz and John went missing, that night at 5.30, Dennis asked Shaha to go to Harbortown and pick up some reports from the Calvert's office. And he said, you know what? Take the rest of the day off. Go crazy. Harbortown is the boat parking lot, in case you're confused. Right. Yeah, we've been calling it the boat parking lot, haven't we? So she left, and she actually saw John going into the building as she was leaving. But Shaha says the next day at work, March 4th, the morning passed without any sign of her boss. She says Gerwing finally showed up at around 1 in the afternoon, making no mention about why he was late. But he did ask her for one more favor. The next morning after the Calverts went missing, he said, could you do me a favor and take me to go pick up my car where it's being repaired? Now, this is the big Yukon that can carry the cattle and all of your dead bodies. (laughs) And so, like, she does it. She doesn't think anything of it. And the cops are saying to us, here's the thing about the drop cloths. Like, they were huge. They were industrial grade. If you were to wrap up bodies in them, there's no way that you would wind up with hair, fiber, or blood in your car. Like, they're that thick. March 10th, they have enough evidence that they're ready to name him not a suspect, but a person of interest. And they decide that they're going to make that announcement on March 11th, which just so happens to be the same day that their friends and family are planning a candlelight vigil in honor of Liz and John disappearing. Yeah, it's eight days after they vanished. In the hours before the Calvert's prayer vigil, Hilton Head Emergency Dispatch gets a 911 call from Dennis Gerwing's attorney. He's been trying to get in touch with his client since the day before, and Gerwing isn't answering. Dennis's lawyer had been trying to get in touch with him for two fucking days and had not gotten a call back. So the lawyer calls 911 and is like, girl, you got to go figure out what's going on. Dennis was living in a townhome that he managed because the cops are like, yeah, we turned his place over pretty good when we went in there looking for evidence. I just have this image of like cops going into his living room and just like pulling out the silverware drawer and just throwing that shit everywhere. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, yeah. what did you all do in there? <laughs> Is everyone okay? So the cops go to the townhome where he's staying. They go into the house and they go into the upstairs bathroom and they walk in to like a fucking horror movie. Gerwing had locked himself in the bathroom of the master suite. 
It was pretty uh, violent. Um, there was a lot of blood on the walls, on the floors, sinks and bathtub. There was 360 degrees of blood in that bathroom. In the tub, Dennis Gerwing's naked body lies lifeless, riddled with knife wounds. And a suicide note. I don't know. They say not only is there a suicide note, but on one of the bed sheets in the bedroom, he he had also scrawled something. But they, they don't really go into the note, right? They say that the only thing that they can really gather from it is they say that everything that happened happened at his office. But then they go and they comb the office and there is not a stitch of blood or hair or DNA or anything. So I found a, a portion of it online and just in a newspaper account of it. What they're saying is that he doesn't mention them. He doesn't, in the suicide note, he doesn't mention John and Liz. He's talking about his illegal shit that he was doing with money. And so I think maybe that's what he was referring to when he said it all happened at the office. Right. He was saying that everything I did, I did on my own. No one else was involved. It all happened at the office. I always knew the day might come when I'd be found out. Oh, the letter said that? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah, I found like a, just an excerpt of it in one of the local papers because I care about the podcast and making sure the listeners have all you, the most up-to-date information. You do research? <laughs> this is new information for me. But, like, I am skeptical. I mean, basically, the way this ends is that, like, no one ever finds John and Liz. To this day, we don't know where they are. One of the local reporters is saying, like, there are people out there who do not believe that Dennis committed suicide. When we're talking about Dennis Gerwing, there are folks who believe he did not take his own life. Then there are people who have their own theories about the Calverts, maybe the witness protection program, um, that they're out just enjoying life somewhere else and they're getting away. Then there are folks who think Dennis Gerwing killed them. And it does have to be said that Shrek had embezzled about $2.1 million over the years with different clients. Yeah. And they think that he stole an estimated two. million hundred thousand dollars from the Calverts and Liz knew Liz uh, yeah. was about to out him but I don't understand like they're saying he died by suicide with all those stab wounds and I don't understand that I don't understand how you can stab yourself over and over and over again and create that kind of scene like that doesn't make any and maybe it's just because I would never do that right but like I don't I don't understand how you can inflict that kind of pain on yourself yeah I yeah I don't know it was pretty it was a pretty Pretty gruesome um, retelling, and yeah, they went in. He, he, yeah, no, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't. Uh, all to say that the case is technically still open, but just for monetary issues and the company, they did pronounce Liz and John Calvert uh, legally deceased on October 22nd in 2009. And that's just a legal technicality. And I think those stories of people saying that, you know, they went into the witness protection program. I mean, sometimes it's that's how you can sleep at night I is know. just making it what it's not. I think everybody knows. But where are they? Wait, so you you didn't find anything in your Googling? No, I actually called my friend who lives in Hilton Head. Of course you did. Um, and, <laughs> no, I 
just wanted to know yeah. if she knew the story. She's like, oh, of course, everybody knows that story. <laughs> and she goes, you know what happened was. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know, I know what happened. I, I watched the show. But I just wanted to know if it was like a well-known thing. And it sure is. Yeah. You know, 10 years later, they are talked about. And they update in the paper about every five years. And they just kind of update as, I don't know, maybe it's a form of respect. But they update to say that there's no updates. And they have not been found. Uh, say something funny. I don't know. You say something funny. Did you know baby elephants are born at 200 pounds, <laughs> which makes them the biggest babies on earth next to your bitch ass? <laughs> I don't know, season 10, episode 59? Yeah, I don't know where we are. <laughs> Yay! Merry Christmas! You guys, don't forget to join our Facebook group. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Get in there, hang out with us. It's so fun. Join us on Instagram, uh, The Disappeared Pod. We go live every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, we get a little drunk. I give Ellen a lot of shit. My kid usually brings her hamster. And you can follow our own accounts. I spell my name with a Y, you guys. E-L-L-Y-N. I'm Ellen Marsh on Instagram. And you are? <laughs> Just because she needs it. My name is Patrick Hines. Follow me at Ellen Marsh. You can follow the podcast at Ellen Marsh. If you're into politics, you can follow Donald Trump at Joe Biden. Give lots of money to Donald Trump at Joe Biden. And uh, I think that's about it, girl. Yeah, I love you. Oh, God. I have. Uh, I, I, when is it going to stop? <laughs> like nine seasons from now, girl, is when it's going to it stop. Is it nine? Is it nine? I'm having so much fun. Also, I just want to tell you all, I love you. I love you. But I love everyone, too. They're all so fun and nice. Wait, except for that one lady that... You're going to edit this. No, I'm going to leave it in. I answer all our DMs. It's true. I love hearing from people. And people are always like, I can't believe you answered back. I was like, of course I'm answering back. They're like, we've been DMing True Crime Obsessed for years. We never hear from anybody. I know. I, I love it. I love hearing from anyone. And then this woman without a face, her name was Jenny, said... All she said was... Your podcast is terrible. <laughs> I'll give you $5 if you tell me how she spelled your. Oh, no. Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Incorrect. How'd she spell it? Wait. No, yeah, no, she spelled it that way. Your. Girl, do you know how to spell your? I do. But she wrote, you are a terrible podcast. Hey, you guys, go counteract Jenny's uh, DM to us with a five-star review on iTunes, please. Oh, yeah, reviews on iTunes. And I just wrote, thank you, Jenny. So is yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. Bye. Bye. Do you remember yesterday when I called you and we were FaceTiming and your plumber was there and I asked you quietly if he was hot and you said yes. And then I kept trying to embarrass you. Yes, you did. You did. My married hot plumber. <laughs> he's hot and he's married. <laughs> and probably listening to this podcast. I mean, in New York, everyone has hazard lights on because everyone's like pulling over in the middle of the highway to just like, you oh, know. I love, I love it when people do that. Like you just, it's literally just two lanes and you own the goddamn street. You're causing a backup of 72 cars. But please, by all means, Stephanie, park your goddamn Volkswagen Jetta in the middle of the street while you run in and go get your freaking bunny food, you twat. I hate everyone. Oh, God, that was so, that really was so funny. I don't know why that made me laugh so much. <laughs> we're only five minutes in. We're not even five minutes in. We're <laughs> Can I put my arm like that? Can I sit? I'm going to 
my chin. <laughs> if your car goes veering off the highway at 400 miles an hour, Ellen's not stopping to help. She doesn't do that, you guys. I do stop to help. I just say you are a specific type of irritating right now. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Ellen does not care about you when she's on the road. She only cares about herself. It just made me think of that episode of The Golden Girls where we learn that Dorothy has a gambling problem. It was one episode. We never heard about it before or after. It vaguely... I, <laughs> I vaguely remember that episode. Miami, Miami, <laughs> you got How many people... I know. Actually want to go missing. Take away Scoop, piece of shit, Daniels. I'm telling but you like, right now, Michelle McMullen is at the gym listening to our podcast. She's a huge fan, and her, her hand just like slowly went into the air on the Stairmaster. I, that, that's it. But like every- <laughs> Hey, girl. Hey, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs>